Tarzan, yeah, Tarzan, swinging like Tarzan and doing the Tarzan sound. And then, of course, throughout the, any of the Star Wars movies, there's nothing quite like this sound. So, <laughs> oh yeah, the Wilhelm, the Wilhelm scream. scream. You can't go have a Star Wars movie without it. Welcome to the What's Up Every Podcast, where we fasten ourselves cinematic judge and jury. My name is JJ Carter. I'm here with my co-hosts, Mattson Heiner. Better red than dead. And Alec Burgess. Let's get it. We appreciate you tuning in. Go ahead, hit that follow, subscribe, like, bell notification button. Tell a friend about us. Tell a nerd about us. God damn it. Because that's what this one works out really well for. And it's really even better if it's a Star Wars nerd. But nerds in general will do because they usually go hand in hand. That Mattson just threw me off. I've learned to be okay with the uh, with this apple juice, with this big giant fucking <laughs> tub of smoothie. But the apple juice in a pouch got me a little bit. <laughs> or applesauce or blackberry, blackberry. bliss. That sounds uh, like they bought it from Costco. So trying it out. You yeah. thought it was vaping for a second? No, I've had way too many vapes in my life. I thought it was squeezy applesauce. <laughs> I do have that too. I like those. I mean, I'm going to have it, babe. We're going to have it all the time in the house. That's fair. That's fair. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So we are here to review on the near the 40th anniversary. Um, We're going to talk about return of the Jedi. It was released May 25th, 1983. I like it when I'm just barely older than a movie (laughs) instead of really a lot older than a movie. Um, (laughs) It was written by Lawrence Kasdan and George Lucas. It was directed by Richard Marquand. It stars Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, Billy D. Williams, Anthony Daniels, Peter Mayhew, Sebastian Shaw, Frank Oz, Ian McDermott, and James Earl Jones. After rescuing Han Solo from Jabba the Hutt, the Rebels attempt to destroy the second Death Star while Luke struggles to help Darth Vader back from the dark side. I I love talking Star Wars, so I'm really excited, but... We have some topics to get into as we have been back to doing. And the first one, I, I kind of built off of some of your guys's, but I like one of the things that has always been really interesting to me about this movie, and not necessarily for great reasons, but interesting because it felt disjointed. And I think it's one of the things that's always intrigued me a little bit about Star Wars in general when it comes to the original trilogy is so the heist or breaking Han Solo out, right? So it was a very interesting start you get r2 and c3po wandering up to the gates of jabba's palace and the banter back and forth and i love don't think they're home yeah (laughs) c3po always trying to get out of the scary shit and r2 always running right into danger which is why that guy's my guy right so like i love r2 but it's it's such a good way to get you back into the swing of star wars right like these two are the most comfortable piece of Star Wars. Like you see them and you're like, oh yeah, I know what I'm watching. Jay, how long, Return of the Jedi, how many years after did it come out from episode five? Episode five? Oh, you mean, yeah, from... Yeah, what was the, what was There the were three-year gaps between them, 77, okay. 80, and 83. I mean, that's a significant gap. Yeah, all of them were made. I mean, that I was normal for... To, that's a long then. time these days. Oh, it's a way long time. But it's it's pretty typical. In fact, it was actually less long than a lot of sequels were in the seventies and eighties, but yeah, three year gaps between the first three, three year gaps between the, the prequel trilogy 
And then we know that they really rushed. 14 months between the. (laughs) Yeah, they really rushed the sequel trilogy a little bit. But yeah, I will say that as a kid, the heist was always confusing to me. Up until I was an adult and I was smart enough to put some theories together and, you know, reasoning behind some of what was going on. But I always thought it was very confusing that Luke sent all of his friends in first. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I found that I was like, why wouldn't he, if he's this badass Jedi, why wouldn't he just, he and all of his friends just show up? You know what I mean? Like, I just didn't understand the whole clandestine nature of it all. But I, as an adult, have come to think that, and this is by no means, you know, canon or anything, and because they just don't talk about it anymore. But I believe that there was two separate plans being in, put in place that weren't being communicated together. And these two plans brought our heroes back together unwittingly that's what i've come to it makes me feel warm and fuzzy that leia had her own plan and luke had his plan with and i think the only person that he embedded in there was oh wow i want to say billy d williams but i can't lando i think lando because lando and luke have lando, lando, Pando. together. so i think that's my theory on the heist but it always felt very disjointed it just feels like nobody knows what the fuck they're doing that's fair but that's kind of the MO for that team anyway, is it's also fair. <laughs> balls to the wall. <laughs> I hope this works. Yeah. Uh, do you mind if I try to poke a hole in your beautiful theory, JJ? Sure. What about R2 having Luke's lightsaber? Well, no, I mean, that was always part of Luke's plan though, was having. Right. So then it was Luke's plan and Leia was the one who went on her own. Exactly. <laughs> with Chewie. Yep. Okay. Yep. <laughs> Cause it makes sense. Right. Cause at least in my head as a diehard, ridiculous star Wars fan, like it makes sense to me that Chewie being Han's best friend is not going to leave Leia. They've now professed right. their love to each other. He's now going to stay with Leia. It's just how it's going to work. And we see that in the sequel trilogies, if you want to give those any <laughs> credence, but the next piece of that too, is we find out later. And now this is back Canon, right? But Luke and, and Lando have, some history and this was even in they did it in the extended universe that's no longer the legends part of the canon now they had a history where they worked together separate of han so those two combinations make sense right leia chewy come in get busted do their thing use each other to play their plan and all the while lando's been embedded and that's why lando walks up to leia in that moment and is like i'm here and it kind of makes her see, yeah, you're not alone in all of this. So anyway, that was it's just one of those theories I came up with. I like it. As, but I've watched it way too many times. So it gives me a lot of opportunity to think about what the hell's going on. But Why did one just Luke come in there with his lightsaber and do his thing beforehand? Don't know. It's not the Jedi way. Yeah, it's, it's fair. It's fair. Because maybe one too many, this time you're going to die. Maybe just... Do it right at the beginning and save yourself the trouble. I don't know. He just wanted to do his cool flip. That's yeah. the way I've always thought about it. That and he, always, he wanted to, you know, he thought, I'll just fight myself out on a, a sunny day in Tatooine where I grew up. Not only that, but like, hey, we'll fall down into a pit and have to, you know, fight a big ugly monster in a very small He wanted area. to see the old countryside. Yeah, exactly. The Skywalkers are nothing if not dramatic. That's... He was, also fair. I, Facts. <laughs> which, as a kid, was one of the saddest moments. Like, uh, when he, when, like, the, the handler 
of the oh why can't i think of the name of that damn rancor the rancor that's I've, what kind of star wars, wars nerd a star are wars you? nerd right now i need to like take all of that shit down <laughs> when the rancor dies and like the handler comes out and he's like crying and shit like as a kid i'm like oh that's kind of sad like <laughs> i feel bad for that guy it was like his big giant dog <laughs> that ate people exactly yeah no when i heard that again i was just like this stupid idiot like i was like man people can learn to love anything almost we're just sick twisted absolutely dude it was weird his, uh, it was emotional support uh yeah yeah it's, it's yeah and would have ate him the first chance it got come on dude you have oh i forget he hasn't watched uh freaking uh boba fett the book of boba fett they uh they imprint on the first person they see dude oh do they all right well i guess sure yeah. But if push came to shove, it would eat him. That's fair. All right. So we were also going to talk about the Sarlacc pit. I'm very interested to hear what you want to know about the Sarlacc pit. Oh, I just, I'm talking to my Star Wars encyclopedia right here. Just want to know. I just want to know more about it. I don't know a ton about it. I just know what they say. You get, takes like a thousand years to eat you. And then if I remember correctly, Boba Fett somehow fought his way out of that because he went in it. I don't know how he did that. I'm just more curious about the Sarlacc pit because it's a pretty iconic scene and a pretty weird organism. It's fair. And can I just say, like, this I think is a good place to start where, look, George Lucas is an interesting character. And I've always said he's a great story writer. He's terrible dialogue. But the one problem was is he had all these effects that he had in his mind that he would have loved to have done. But in the 70s, in early 80s, there was no way to do it. And then when computer technology came around, he's like, well, I'm going to go back and fix shit. You didn't fix anything, sir. You broke shit. Like, fuck out of here. Like, the giant beak coming out of the Sarlacc, it pisses me <laughs> off. As a kid, I thought, there's a pit with teeth. That's horrifying. <laughs> like, I hate It doesn't beak. need any more. No, and the tentacles coming out of it. Like, I, I don't need the beak. So I hate the beak. Let me, I just wanted to get that out there, but there's very little that he did with the new, the special edition shit that I liked. It just didn't work for me, but the Sarlacc pit. So Sarlaccs are a very interesting character and they have, (laughs) this is going to sound weird. They have legs, but they nest and they typically will find a place to nest like in the pit of Carcoon, like this one did. They have legs, they have arms, kind of, and then they have those tentacles. And they actually mature after 30,000 years. So they're Ooh, very, very must be old. A bitch. Yeah, they're very, very old. Because they don't mature until 30,000 years. Jeez. So. That's cruel. The reason that he talks about being digested for a thousand years is because they have very weak stomach acid is the canon explanation, but there's no, like, it's all allegedly most more than that. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Nobody it's more, that was more of like a job of the hut saying, you know, as he's getting ready to execute people to like intimidate for those who are about to be executed and try to get them to, you know, give in, but it does have a slow digestive system, but it's more that they're your, it's victims would either die from suffocation the acid would kill them or a combination of the both. That's why Boba Fett was able to get out because his mask allowed him to breathe to a certain level. But that's why all the scarring and and they show it at the beginning of book of Boba Fett 
how mm-hmm. or throughout that how they he escaped but like that's why his suit had like the scars the scarring from the acid things like that but it was his suit that allowed him to escape but the thousand years is probably bullshit is the the theory sounds sounds cool to say that i mean if, even if it was 10 years it'd be like sure oh, a long time so it's like the venus flytrap of tatooine kind of yeah oh uh, yeah but with legs, yeah. Gotta, with, for, gotta, gotta have that part in there. Yeah. Sharlock has legs. <laughs> yeah. Which doesn't make sense to me. So it can move. Yeah, they don't settle down into the pits until they're ready to. They're getting ready to like reach maturity kind of level. Is my understanding of it? There's not a ton of information, but like they'll find a place and settle in. But they do like there's a there's a scene in one of the comics and I don't know which comic it was. I'd have to go back and look, but it's a lead. One of the legends comics had solo running away from two baby Sarlaccs. <laughs> and it, they had legs and arms and like the tentacles coming out and shit. Like they just look like big running pits. <laughs> it was terrifying. So, yeah. I'm looking at an anatomy of a Sarlacc pit and it is terrifying. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a pleasant thing. Thing. So it looks like a morph dick. <laughs> Kinda. With a mouth. Yeah. A big gaping maw. Weird. I mean, you gotta chalk it up to Star Wars, man. One thing George Lucas did right is he knew how to make weird animals and then somehow also learned how to make very cute ones at the same time. But granted, he didn't make it, but he had the idea of them. And Star Wars is really gotta give it, gotta give it to them. They they know how to do that and do that really well. For sure. All right, so let's talk about Dagobah because from here we we split the party. Never a good idea. Uh, I love that plan. <laughs> I know. So Luke's <laughs> got to go back to see Yoda and finish his training, keep that promise to an old friend. So he goes back to Dagobah. And I know, Matt said you have some some issues with Dagobah. Dude, it was the inspiration for Dagobah, like the deep swamp of Florida or something. I do It just, it looks like you meet the swamp meets I don't know, like Friday the 13th, something like it. I just always, I just always hated this planet because it, obviously when Luke goes for the first time and their version of Yoda and I grew up obviously seeing uh, better CGI and practical effects. And it, it just, I hated the planet because it felt so slow and the dialogue, it was just a very boring place to be. And maybe it was certainly by design Yoda's slower, but even going back for, this accepted. I always kind of skip through because it just bores me. Like I, I'm there and I'm just like, ah, like this plane is dumb. It's stupid. I want to be here. Like, get me off. Can we go back to the action? Like Yoda's this old fart that just, just let him go. Wow, the disrespect. I know. But then I saw the, the prequels and I was like, dude, this dude's a G like, this is cool. And so now when I see it, I'm like, all right, pay respect to the, to the OG, but it's hard to see pre prequel Yoda versus this Yoda and just the movement. I mean, it's almost like how they do baby Yoda now um, and Mandalorian, which is kind of funny, but I just get really bored. I don't really like this planet. And at times I wish they'd speed some of these things up. I know Luke learns a lot about himself, but it comes, especially the first time he's there, you get like whiny Luke and he's just like a little bitch and you're just like, come on, dude, like let's be better. That's fair. So I just wanted to bring it up because it definitely the least favorite place for me in Star Wars. It's just boring. Well, here, let me give you some history to it. Maybe it'll make you feel better about yeah. Dagobah. So Dagobah, the reason it's... Oh, well, I should say, I do know, that, isn't it some... There was like some dark master that hid there for a long time. Isn't that why Yoda went there? So he could cloak his own like force? 
So I read that in a book somewhere. I don't know if that's I don't know if that's the new canon. I don't know if they've changed. I read that, it in one of the books. It, so it, it could sense be to me. new canon. The canon that I know, and, and again, I don't know if this falls within legends or if this is the new one. I honestly don't know, but this is the one that I choose to believe because I like it. But it's similar. It's a dark side nexus. It's what they call a dark side nexus, which is why that cave provides the fear mm-hmm. level for Luke when he goes in and it talks about Yoda gets all weird and like in be careful in there. You won't need your weapon, but be careful. It's because, it, and that's why he chose it was so that his presence would be masked by the emperor and Vader and those that would be chasing him that were, you know, students of the dark side. So it has a dark side presence to it that they would probably feel before they felt just Yoda, regardless of how powerful he is. So that is one of the reasons that he chose it. Well, I guess that is the reason that he chose it, but it, it's also the only, so it's part of a, it's called the Sluis sector and it's the only habitable planet that's in it. And now they've changed the history even more to where there were some comics that were released with Dooku because Dooku was Yoda's, one of Yoda's, uh, yeah, my brain's not working today. Apprentices. Apprentices. Um, <laughs> Dooku actually erased Dagobah from the Jedi library much like they did with Camino, uh, Camino, the cloning planet. I was about to say, my fucking brain has not worked tonight. Dude. <laughs> yeah. So that was another reason that he chose it is he knew that his, his boy had deleted Dagobah from this archive. So another good place to hide. I like Dagobah though, but I also love Yoda. Like he's always been one of my favorites. And I, this is an interesting point in the films because this is the first time you actually learn about a true, like that whole, no, there is another from empire. You get to figure it, learn where, who that other is, even though it does hint towards some kinky shit. (laughs) (laughs) That I guess neither of them knew about at the time, but yeah. So, but yeah, like I like the conversation. I think the only thing is like, like, again, this is another one of those things that I was always confused about how much time went on between empire and, and we know those things now, right? When they tell you in this, the roll down or whatever, like some of the, some time has passed or whatever, but like, what the hell happened to Yoda that all of a sudden, is he just tired? I mean, 900 years, that's a long ass time, but what's the difference between 900 and 895 is five years, really the part where you can lift an X wing and five years later, you're disappearing into the, the force, right? Like I, that one for me is always like, that felt a little, convenient and then why does yoda immediately you're in the middle of a very serious conversation you're barely able to get out what it is that you need to say about leia yeah there is another skywalker like he barely says this shit right just fucking go hold on a minute i'm gonna die real quick and i'll come back as a freaking ghost yeah (laughs) it's like bro yeah ain't that hard I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but I always took it as because I heard the thing about him going to dig about Damascus presence. Mm-hmm. But also, I always took like the secondary part of that was it takes a lot out of him, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So having the you know being on a planet with all this dark side presence because really the time between Order sixty six, uh, Revenge of the Sith, and Return of the Jedi is what that nineteen years. So if you think about it, he's been there for 14 when he first sees Luke, if there's that five-year gap. But if, you know, that's a quarter of the time essentially passing by. I always think it's like, 
he got tired or drained him enough to where he's like, okay, Luke's now the guy. I'm good. I'm done with this shit. That's Um, fair. And he has a solid point. That is a very solid point. Maybe the thing I take away from this the most. Kudos to you, my friend. I never (laughs) thought of Because like, and that makes sense too, because he was a pretty spy. I mean, look, he was still Yoda. But he was still a pretty spry fella when he went into hiding. So yeah, he's jumping around like a squirrel in the Senate chambers. Mm-hmm. So and then you see him, and he's still powerful, obviously. But yeah, but he's not crazy. The same. He's Yoda, losing his cuckoo for cocoa puffs. Yeah. And yeah, no, I get it. I, mean, I like that. I'm gonna steal yeah. that theory. Excellent. Well done, sir. Well, I am gonna go with that. Having having read, I'm currently reading the the Bane trilogy, and they had the the Force thought bomb and. The reason I say this is that the planet Ruson that it happened on, yeah. it, it changed the weather, it changed all kinds of stuff. It's still there and it, it affected, even Bane when he was there, it was affecting his like mental capacity. Yeah. And so I think that's a very plausible and rather likely theory that it was starting to just eat up Yoda's mind. Makes a lot and of sense. Res- resiliency. It actually kind of like changes a lot of things too. Cause look, Luke was always whiny, but he was just a little bit bitchier. Yeah, on day he was there. It brought that out a little bit more. Yeah, he uh, he was the worst day. He was just like Luke, like my come on, dude, quit your whining, dude. Anyway, that was always Luke. It's a lot like his father, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so the other thing that happens is, is after this, we get this whole, hey, we're gonna come together and we're gonna go fight the Empire. It's cool, I love it. But then we end up on uh, Yavin, and here we go with Ewoks. Or not Yavin, but Endor. And Endor. <laughs> now I'm mixing up movies. I quit. I'm no longer a Star Wars fan. I was fan. like, Yavin. I was like, bro. <laughs> so hey, you aren't, you aren't doing your... The Star Wars community... If this no, was dude, like, they you think I'm a poser. They would, they would eat you alive. I know, dude. Look, guys. It's not a good night for my brain. I have a hard time keeping track of my three dogs, and I see them every day, so... <laughs> I call them by different names all the time. Anyway, so a lot, a big complaint with this one across the board is the Ewoks. What do you guys think of the Ewoks? Oh gosh. See, I love, I love the Ewoks. Me too. I love space Charlie. Um, <laughs> and I don't know if it's because like the first time I saw it, I was only like four or five. Sure. Right. And they're cute, cuddly bears. And then I actually, just figured this out a little while ago, but one of the movies that I grew up watching that I had no recollection of or combined with Jedi was say. the battle for Endor. Yes. Dude, there's like, two of those. I know. And I just discovered it like on Disney plus again a year ago. Cause I kept on, are they on Disney plus? They're on Fuck Disney off. plus. I know what I'm doing tonight. Yeah. I and it was talking about dude. Dude. It's the adventures, the Ewok adventure movies, yeah. dude. There's oh, wow. Battle for, for Endor, and then there's another one that I can't remember the... Anyway, sorry, Alec, I didn't mean to hijack oh, no, you. I'm so excited because I love the Ewok adventures, dude. Right? But for some reason, it got combined in my mind with Jedi. Mm. And so, because I first watched these movies, my dad had them on VHS tapes that he recorded from, like, you know, cable TV. And so, yeah. at one point, he Mine recorded too. he recorded over them. And so, we didn't have it. For like the longest time. And so like it just meshed my mind where there was parts that both movies combined. Yeah. And then I watched Jedi again. I was like, wait, that's different. Yeah. Like that's wrong. 
And it took me the longest time to figure out that I didn't make it up. No, it was part of a second movie. It's the hang gliding. There's two of them, dude. So there's there's the yeah, uh, I'm watching the trailer right now, and this looks horrific. You're they, gonna hate yeah, it. You will despise it. It's not a it good is, movie. It is not. But it's but fun it as fuck. Holds a special place in my yeah. heart, and so do the Ewoks. So I was two years old when Jedi came out, right? And right. And my dad took me to a theater as a two year old. I don't remember it. So let's not fucking pretend that I'm. I was sold as a two-year-old. And to be honest, as a two-year-old, it probably scared the shit out of me. But I will say that it's the very first movie as, as a human being that I went to a movie theater at. My dad took me. He told, tells me all the time, we didn't stay the whole time. But my dad had old VHS recordings from HBO of the all three of the movies, the original trilogy that I, I wore. And my dad, like I got to a point where my dad's like, we got to copy it because you're going to wear this fucking tape out. So we copied the VHS because I used to watch the three of them constantly. Well, once the three of them were done, it went right from Jedi to the Caravan of Courage, which is the Mm -hmm. first of the Ewok adventures. And then the Battle for Endor is the second one, which wasn't nearly as good because you lost your two main, you're at least one of your main characters. A lot of the characters from the original don't make it far in that movie. So... Mm -hmm. But it's a really, but they're fun as balls, in my opinion. Like, I loved those movies. And the Caravan of Courage was one of my favorite. Mace, the, the kid Mace yeah. and his sister. Great shit, dude. Like, just a lot of fun. Oh, let me read. The, I'm on this website. It, and this is funny. So I'm just going to go for basically what Jade said. Apparently unsatisfied with the tragedy of Skywalker family, George Lucas decided that the Tawani family needed to suffer even worse. Enter the Battle for Ender, a caravan of courage, sequel that delivers one of the most shocking displays of carnage in a family movie franchise, let alone a Star Wars film. In positively bleak Alien 3 movie, Lucas decides it's time to kill off literally every freaking single member of this family except for the little girl. Other than maybe Luke losing his hand in The Empire Strikes Back, there's actually not any moment in Star Wars thing ever that portrays the audience's trust more than the first act deaths of Katari, Jeremit, and Mace Tawani in the Battle of Endor. Cindella is helpless to watch as her entire family, the ones she rescued in the first movie, the characters, the Ewok movie fans, such as I came to know, are systematically killed off in unequivocal fashion. In the last part, she says, my family, they're all dead, the five-year-old Cindell says at one point. What happens to me now, Wicked? I'm all alone. What the hell? Oh, dude, they're, they're rough. I, it's not, but, and as a kid, like I, and maybe this is where I got my tortured soul from, but I used to watch these movies all the time too. Like I love, I I remember watching them, but they Uh, combined, like I totally forgotten they existed. It combined with Jedi for me. Mm -hmm. And so when I discovered it on Disney plus and I watched them, I was like, Oh my gosh, this is Uh, it. This is what I remember. (laughs) Listen to this sentence. After her pants and older brother are killed, she's forced to rely on a bunch of teddy bears to save her from an evil witch with the system from Wilford Brimley for good measure. That about sums it up. That's pretty much it. To go back to the Ewok, so my my thing is, in watching it now, it makes me think of uh, the Hobbits in Lord of the Rings, and especially in Two Towers, you know, when they're taking rocks and hefting them down at these massive orcs and getting headshots and knocking them off their feet and these things. It's the same kind of principle with the Ewoks, where there are scenes in this when you're further back and it literally looks like a three foot teddy bear is like maliciously 
tapping a stormtrooper and they're somehow murdered or put into a stupor of sleep or something. And that's how the Battle of Endor is won. But they make up for it with the swinging logs. Yeah. The swinging log, <laughs> hey, like, let's go there. But one of them, like, crushes that Durasteel as they use <laughs> Star Wars to me. Like, it's literally nothing when it's one of the stronger substances manufactured in the universe that that tree probably wouldn't actually <laughs> crush. And the fact that these Ewoks, did they have the strength to pull that thing all the way back? I'm sorry. Their paws are like four inches. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that- four inches is a lot, man. Okay. <laughs> four inches is a lot. I, I look past it because the rest of the movie's great and it's fun. And sometimes they look really scary. Just gonna throw that out there as well. It doesn't really work. What do you think, JJ? Because you're the super Star Wars fans, but it's real hard. Like it's 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 not the shiniest moment of Star Wars. You know, look, I love the Ewoks, but I'm like Alec, I'm biased because of I watched the Ewok adventures as a kid as much, if not more, than I did most Star Wars movies because it was the most kid-friendly, I guess. It's not kid-friendly, but it was it felt the most because the main characters were kids. But at the same time, like, but I love the Ewoks. In fact, I enjoy like their weird shit. Like when they're trying to eat Han and Luke and, and Chewbacca, I'm like, eat them. That's disturbing as shit but i do get what you're saying like there's some moments in the battle as an adult where i'm like but that thing's supposed to hold off like blaster fire and you killed him (laughs) with a spear with a rock at the end of it like hold on like yeah but so yes is it the most realistic no but i there's still nothing more entertaining to me than watching the little teddy bear swing around and knocking over freaking stormtroopers chewbacca swinging and hollering like freaking uh Who's the guy that swings from vines and screams? Tarzan. Yeah, Tarzan, swinging like Tarzan and doing the Tarzan sound. And then, of course, throughout the, any of the Star Wars movies, there's nothing quite like this sound. So. Oh, yeah, the Wilhelm, the Wilhelm scream. You can't go have a Star Wars movie without it. But yeah, like, I get why people bitch about the Ewoks, but I love them. And I'm very biased, but I love them, especially Wicked. <laughs> he was my favorite i love me some wicked there's always some weird little creature in a star wars movie that you're like could they really do that <laughs> and yes yes they can god damn it so let's move on to bigger characters and let's talk about the emperor this is the first time we actually see okay in the original trilogy before the fucking fine special edition bullshit this is the first time we see Ian McDermott as the emperor. And we get more than just this weird character with bulging eyes in a video format in empire that was played by a different, a different actor altogether and wasn't as nearly as intimidating or as cool. But like, this is what, I mean, and what Ian McDermott sadly and yet proudly is most famous for It's what he is famous for is this performance. And it terrified me as a kid. Like, mm, knew it. Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. Ian McDermott is the shit because of this movie, in my opinion. And it goes back to just a great presentation, right? He's, he's not a villain that's at the front lines. He's that shadowy, mysterious figure. You don't know anything about him. You don't know who he is, what his MO is. They don't throw, you know, throw him at your face and 
here he is, he's bad. It's the sinister, almost confidence and swagger that he's got that really uh, makes him terrifying. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the fact that he like never once questions the outcome that it's going to be anything other than what he believes it's going to be. That being, they defeat the rebellion, Luke turns to the dark side. There was never a doubt in his mind. I mean, he's just chilling in his chair, laughing his ass off to the point that he like lectures Vader for being impatient. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I told you to fucking stay on the, the ship. What the hell are you doing here? Oh, is that so? Well, go down there and get him, I guess. He's going to come to you. <laughs> you could have stayed on the ship and it all would have ended the same fucking way. It's just, yeah. it's so interesting to me. But to your point, like, I can't think of very many villains, if any, where, who sat in a chair and I was still intimidated and frightened as a kid. Or even today, watching it in the theater a week and a half ago, I was like, he's still so fucking intense. And like, in this movie especially, like, just love it. How intimidating a presence he cuts. Two feet shorter than Vader. And all you see is from his brow line down and it's just genius writing genius acting he's one of my favorite characters in the whole star wars universe because of this performance and if he did if lucas did anything right with the special editions it was putting this version of the emperor in empire for the two seconds that he was in it because it completely gave it credence again that was the one one of the very, very few things that I about the special editions that I'm like, yep, that was a good call. The rest, I'm like, eh, go away. That <laughs> one was smart because Ian McDermott is Palpatine, right? Like, can't be anybody else. Oh, he's totally Palpatine. And, it, and for me, growing up and seeing him, I think one of the harder things he had to do, and I thought he did really well, is he had to play the character that became the character he already was, which is no easy feat to create that and not very many people even get an opportunity to do something like that. And he did it and did it masterfully, but I'm the one that put this topic out there. I just, I wanted to talk about, cause I've read a lot of the books as well as the arrogance of the emperor where he had most of the empire fleet there. I'm trying to remember, cause I, I love general Theron. Theron wasn't there obviously, yeah. but I'm trying to remember if Thrawn felt if he was there, this never would have happened. There was something that the Emperor just didn't really give credence to the rebellion because he was so confident, so determined, but he overlooked some things. And I know in the books, Thrawn, I can't remember what he says, but Thrawn felt if he was there or if the Emperor had listened more, none of the the rebellion would have had any credence with Endor. But my details are fuzzy there, and that's kind of what I wanted to see if I could pick apart in your brain, JJ, to understand if honestly it really sounds like an emperor made like one different decision that none of this would have ever happened yeah it was the cleverness that the empire the emperor was trying to use right so to give credence to your point it was his he was so overconfident and arrogant in his victory because he had foreseen what was to come and thrawn's point in the air to the empire the original trilogy air to the empire was that if the emperor he did a great job setting the trap but if he had just used the battle station the way that it should have been used surrounded them in a different way. He does talk about a different strategy, but it was because he toyed with him. It's like he played with his prey. He let this group go down because he could have stopped. It would have never happened if he had stopped that 
ship that had Luke on it, right? Because then there's nobody down there to destroy the dish. So the shield's still up. That entire unit that goes down is now captured or dead, right? So it was all the things that he let them do because he didn't think it mattered. Whereas Thrawn understood the pluckiness of the rebellion and especially that group of people. That was the one thing about Luke that he never, that Thrawn always talked about. And the reason that he brought Jorah Seaboth in is because, and the other version of Luke, because he knew he could not underestimate what Luke could do and his ability to come out on top in situations where you just shouldn't be able to. And so that was the difference between him and Thrawn is Thrawn and Thrawn's not a guy which is one of my favorite things about Thrawn. He's not a guy to waste time making no, he's very efficient about things. Like he does things intelligently and does things the way that they should be done. So yeah, very efficient, like you said. But yeah, and yeah. that is very evident that the Emperor is very overconfident in this situation, which Luke points out. Your overconfidence will be your undoing, right? Like it's your faith in your friends will be yours. <laughs> I wasn't a fan of the, the sequel trilogy bringing him back, but I will always be okay. Like when they did that trailer, when they announced the trailer for that one, and then all of a sudden Ian McDermott comes out on the stage and he's like, roll it again. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, it's Ian McDermott. And then I was like, wait, they're bringing him back? That doesn't work for me. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Pop of Vader. Dude, I love me some Papa Vader. I think we've talked about it in the podcast before where I truly believe Vader is the greatest villain in cinematic history. I don't think there really can be any argument for him outside of like top five. I know everybody's different, but for me, he is the greatest cinematic villain ever. And add in the sequel trilogy, which, you know, a lot of people dislike, but it adds so much to just Vader himself. Mm Mm-hmm where you get a whole different viewpoint because in the original trilogy, if you watch it in a vacuum, he's this intimidating leader kind of underling, but still has a lot of power wields absolute authority. But if you add in the sequel or the prequel trilogy, you have an ex soldier who has outlived every single challenge that he could possibly have until he meets a new young Jedi mm-hmm. and it's like his final hurrah final fight and so this saber duel between Luke and Vader is my favorite in the entire Star Wars canon it's not as flashy or as kind of cool as Anakin versus Obi-Wan but this one right here for me is the coolest because it's the calling card for Vader this is his curtain call this is his last opportunity, his last chance. And it is just such a great wrap up to the Vader arc. For sure. Well, in my opinion, like if you, like you said, if you watch this trilogy in a vacuum, know nothing about it, but you watch this trilogy, I'm with you. Like he, even in this trilogy alone, he's such a nuanced character because he's this awful, intimidating, no nonsense, no mercy villain that, murders two of his lieutenants in front of our eyes in the second movie, like without a lick of remorse of doing anything. And then all of a sudden in this genius moment at the end of part two in empire, we go, wait, what? And now there's this level of, you have to understand 
how did he get there? Like instantly, that's your question. Wait, he's Luke's dad? And then that changes the entire perspective of Vader for the, the entire third movie. There has to be this level of compassion that you have for Vader at that point. That, that's Mattson petting his dog, by the way. <laughs> oh, I thought I was on mute. Whoops. Sorry. Uh, it, you, there has to be a level of compassion for him at that point because he's your main protagonist's dad. Holy shit, right? And and so I'm with you. Like this whole movie to me is is just an epic love story to Vader and how that turnaround and that redemption of Vader becomes takes the greatest villain and turns him into one of the greatest heroes. Ever. And especially, what, like you said, when you view these three in a vacuum, it's such an interesting play on character writing and villain backstory and villain intentions and who they are. Because I'm with you. Like, when you meet Vader in the very first Star Wars movie, episode four, and you're like, this guy is brutal. Like, he just lifts this dude up, chokes him out, throws him on the ground, yells at his guys, fuck out of here and go find me those plans, like, right now. It's just crazy. No villain has ever had an entrance in that. It's that good, in my opinion. And then this goes into as well, like the Star Wars. Have you guys ever heard the Star Wars ring theory? I don't think so. Okay, so I am not going to dive into this because it's a long ass, but you should Google it. The Star Wars ring theory. It's based on, there's a writing composition style called ring composition. The way it works is it's all a giant circle, basically. And this is to George Lucas's credit. Uh, again, I don't want to dive too deep because I could spend an hour just talking about this, but the way that the original trilogy plays, and then you look at the, the prequel trilogy, especially because he was involved, those three are almost a mirror of each other in the way that they start and end. And then everything in between, like their catalysts in the middle of the two central movies and how it comes to a complete. So you have the redemption of Anakin at the end of the original trilogy. You have the fall of Anakin at the end of the, the prequel trilogy and everything that goes there is circular down to some of the most minute details of it, but you should really read into it. But to me, it's the reason that even though, and I've said this many times, the prequels aren't like phenomenal movies. They have issues because George Lucas is not a great dialogue writer. The composition of those movies compared to the originals are almost inverted mirrors to where it's like, you can't help but enjoy because it ties so well to the original trilogy. And it's just invader is that the center of this entire ring theory, because at the end of the day, the first six movies, they're Vader's story. They're not Luke's story. They're Vader's story. It's really interesting, but you should go, if you haven't, and this is for anybody, if you haven't read the star Wars ring theory, go back and read it. It'll make you appreciate it. My, at least it did me made me appreciate the prequel trilogies even more from a storytelling perspective, the dialogue, especially of attack of the clones is still the most disturbing, cringy shit I've ever seen in a movie. It's up there, bad dialogue, but the storytelling of it all is really interesting at that point. So with that, that was, I just wanted to get that, but that leads us into the final topic and that being the trilogy wrap up like this trilogy wrap up. I don't know that there's a better trilogy wrap up in my opinion, except after he did the special editions and put, Hayden Christensen as a force ghost at the end. That bothers the shit out of me still to this day. I, I, it probably shouldn't, but I loved Sebastian Shaw as force and it can go because it shows his age. Why did he go back to being a 20 year old kid? And the other two stayed old men. Like it just didn't make sense to me, but 
I have to think that's got to be fan service because the special editions sure. came out 2012, right around there. Somewhere like that. Uh, I think it was earlier than that, actually. Earlier than that? Well, after Revenge of the Sith, right? So you have people who their first introduction to Star Wars is episode one. Sure. Right. So when you get to episode six and it's uh, Shaw standing there, but it's like, wait, what? That's not Anakin. Fair. And so that's the only thing I can think of. But I'm, I'm in the same boat. I despise it. I do like the music change, I will say. Ooh, that's a tough one. I, I like the music change. But I, I could not get over Hayden Christensen in the end. That's fair. January of 97 was when the first version of the special edition trilogy came out. I was on mute. I like Anna, the, the Anakin that I've known to come to love. I, I got no problems with it. I prefer that. It's fan service. Oh, I'm for here sure. for it. And it's because the, the sequel trilogy came out after the... Because that was like the second round of special edition shit that they did. The first special edition kept the original version with Sebastian Shaw and anyway, but yeah, they, once Hayden Christensen became Vader, I get why he did it in his fans, but I don't, I just don't love it because it just doesn't make sense to me because of the other two, like leave it as Sebastian Shaw. He's just an old man. Now he got old. But yeah. Anyway, but other than that, I think it's a perfect ending to this trilogy. I love it. Which is hard to do. Mm-hmm. Especially considering that it wasn't a full story or it wasn't his full story. It was a part of his story that he was able to tie a nice pretty bow on. Personally, this is like the best trilogy, in my opinion, in cinema. The original Star Wars trilogy, four, five, and six, from any kind of angle, storytelling, dialogue, everything like that. And then to put this and to tie it up so neatly is very, very difficult to do. Yeah, And it gets pulled off essentially flawlessly to where the only thing that I can really complain about is nitpicky. <laughs> sure. sure. No, I love it. And I think part of it too, going, and the reason I introduced string theory is because this trilogy has its own ring storytelling from Luke and Vader's perspective. What we know of Vader, what we know of Luke, it ends in a, a circle, right? So Vader redeems himself. Luke has always been really good. Luke almost succumbs to the dark side at the end as he's fighting his father, decides not to, has his redemption moment right before Vader has his redemption moment. It's all so interwoven just perfectly within this trilogy that I can't help but agree with you. And that's me trying not to be biased, but I I don't think of a trilogy of movies that I don't enjoy, that I can enjoy as much as this one as, as a whole. And it was at a time where you didn't have trilogies. You didn't really even have sequels. So often uncharted ground. I'm biased with Indiana Jones, but when in terms of actually tying a story together, Indiana Jones is not, it's different. It's not ever written to be like that. So I I had to say based off the bow that they wrap on it, Star Wars does a better job, but I just prefer Indiana Jones because I have a soft spot there. I'll tell you the same thing. I told Javier with his Jurassic Park shit, Indiana Jones wouldn't exist if it weren't for Star Wars. (laughs) <laughs> I know this. Yeah, I know, I know you. I know you're not. You're not as belligerent about it as Javier trying to say that Star Wars wouldn't exist without Jurassic Park. What a fucking idiot! But whatever. Um, that's neither here nor there. So I love it, but I'm biased. I'm a huge Star Wars nerd down to the point that my salt and pepper power salt and pepper shakers are Vader's lightsabers as blue and red. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's how big a nerd I am. So. And I make my family use them. <laughs> I love it. It's awesome. 
<laughs> All right, let's rate this thing. I'll go first. We'll get it out of the way. Surprisingly, I'm not going to give it a five because it's not the best of the trilogy. I think the only one I would give a five of the trilogy is Empire because it's damn near a perfect movie. It is a perfect movie, in my opinion. It is great. But honestly, as a kid, this was my favorite one of the trilogy as a kid. As an adult, it's not. But as a kid, it was. I am going to give it a four and a half. I think the only things that get in its way are some of the things that like Mattson brought up with like the Ewoks being like super powered teddy bears in some situations and their tools are the greatest. And then, you know, I I think there was something to be said for some of the choppiness of this one because the story bounced around a little bit more than the others, even though they were all a little choppy. This one feels choppy to me because you have the initial segment that doesn't necessarily tie very well. They had to figure out how to fix Han Solo being in Carbonite and then moving to the actual story that mattered, the wrapping up of the trilogy does feel a little choppy as an adult, but all those are just nitpicky shit that I will watch this movie anytime, anywhere. So four and a half for me. How many times do you think you've seen it, Jay? God, dude, I can't count. It literally, I wore out three VHSs with these movies on it. Like to the point that they broke, like the tape broke. I watched them so much. If I haven't watched this in my 42 years, all three of these movies, 500 plus times, then I haven't watched them once. I've wa- when I was a kid, I watched them weekly, sometimes multi- 500 times, multiple weeks. That is great. All my favorite movies that I've seen repeat times, which I, we all know I'm rarely repeat movies. Those that I do, I will. I mean, I'm probably adding up maybe, maybe to like 70, 80 that I've seen of all of my favorite, maybe 90, maybe 100 at most, at most. And Jay just talking, just knocking that on the ballpark for these three movies yeah that's me like seriously when i was i'm telling you when i would between the ages of probably five to ten maybe twelve i would watch these at least weekly sometimes multiple times a week sometimes i would watch them day after day because they just i just love them as a kid and then, so it's it's stuck with me as an adult and i i'll randomly turn this shit on in the background all the time if Casey's not around, these are what I turn on is, is a star Wars movie. And typically it's one of the original trilogy somewhere in my garage. I still have a VHS tape with the original cuts of the trilogy. And I like, we threw away a bunch of boxes of VHSs when I was about a year and a half, two years ago from my garage. And I refused, I went through and I saw the box. I still remembered the case that the VHS was in. As soon as I saw that box, I said, we can't throw that away. Casey's like, why? I'm like, because the original cut of Star Wars, all three Star Wars movies is in that box somewhere, along with the original VHS versions of a number of movies that I watched when I was a kid, including the Ewok adventures. And I was like, there are movies in there that I may one day want to go get a VHS just to watch the original cut of Star Wars, like where you can, like when he's in with Rancor and you can kind of see through the Rancor because the, the way they had to do the graphics and shit, I have those cuts. And I will not get rid of them, even though they're shitty re-recorded VHS. They're in there somewhere. I love, love it. it. Sorry for you. No, you shouldn't be. It's my favorite thing ever. <laughs> Matson, you t- t- you go ahead and rate it, buddy. Yeah, it's not a perfect movie. It's a great. It's a great movie. It's this is my favorite of the Star Wars movies. 
I, I mean, we already know why I wouldn't like five as much because he spends more time in Dagobah. So it's, there's definitely some lulls <laughs> there. But Return of the Jedi for me has great buildup, starts pretty fast, keeps going. And that's what I mean, you know me. I, I love movies like that, that really just kind of keep moving along and has a phenomenal ending, obviously. So for me, it's a 4.5. JJ pretty much already said why it couldn't be a five for me. It's really hard to look past it as I'm older now that the whole Ewok thing is a little like, yeah, no, it's just bad. But other than that, I mean, for me, my favorite character in Star Wars is Han Solo. Like he, that's why I love Indiana Jones, obviously so much, but Han Solo's character does it for me. And he makes a good comeback in this movie. And I quite like his character arc and it's a fitting end to the trilogy. And I mean, Star Wars is amazing. And it's probably the best third movie in a trilogy that I've ever seen besides Return of the King. Return of the King is also a phenomenal movie. But Star Wars did it first, and it's hard to say that. I really, that's probably the only other movie I could think of that's high praise. Absolutely. All right, Alec, bring us home, buddy. Happy to. I'll say it again. I love Space Charlie. Um, <laughs> I, we didn't talk about it much, but I too, <laughs> also love George Lucas mm-hmm. in the sense that George Lucas is unapologetically George Lucas. He does not change who he is or what he does, regardless of the pushback that he has from anybody. And that's hard to do. I'm also going to be with you guys. I'm going to give it four and a half. It is my favorite Star Wars movie, hands down, bar none. And it's definitely because of the Ewoks. Uh, I will watch this movie kind of like you, JJ, whenever I get a chance to. It's not as forefront, but I never have a problem sitting down and turning on Jedi. Never have a problem with it. So absolutely, I'll be watching this again. Oh, yeah. I go through withdrawals if I don't watch the original <laughs> trilogy once a year minimum. Like I, best Star Wars movie, episode three. Best lightsaber fight in episode three. See, and I'm, I'm old school. So episode two or episode five, I guess. It, it's always been the second movie for me. But Empire, to me, is the best movie. Movie, from a movie perspective. Is it the one I enjoy watching the most? No. Jay, you, I mean, for you, you probably would say when he says, Luke, I am your father, that's like the most iconic Star Dude. Wars scene. Dude, that's, I assume most, so. that's still, in my opinion, the greatest twist reveal in the history of cinema. I don't think it will ever be topped, that reveal. So it, that's why I wish I could, I could go, because I already knew like, sure. before. Like, you, everyone knew that that hadn't been in the theater when that happened, and I wish I could be at that point to know what that felt like. Cause it would have been, I would be like, what would it have felt like? It would have been sucker punched. Sure. But I just, I never had that. So it's not as iconic. Well, my dad was smart enough when I was two, he t- took me to Jedi. I don't remember it, but he was smart enough to know that I enjoyed that movie enough as a kid that when I was old enough to figure out at least the basics of what was happening, he showed me the original trilogy in order, right? On VHS. And so I got to live through a child's version of, that's his dad. Like, and then I talked to people like my dad who saw the movies in theater as an adult. Right. And was like, what the fuck? Like, this is the greatest. And it's still to this day. Like if you talk to old school people back in the day that saw it as adults and like, they'd never seen anything like that moment where up until that millisecond where he says that, and even they didn't believe it. Like they would leave the theater. My dad would say people would leave the theater and go, that's bullshit. He's lying. It's a trick. 
until Jedi comes out. And not only does Yoda confirm it, but then Obi-Wan comes back and confirms it and then tells why he lied about the fact that, or from a certain point of view, point of view. <laughs> you know, where that story came from. Like, it's amazing to talk to people that saw it in 77, 78 and 81 and go, or 83, 77, 81 and 83 and go, yep, that's where we were at. So it's funny you said, because for me, I grew up with the prequel series and got really embedded with you and McGregor and Hayden Christensen. So episode three, when they're having the battle and then the conversation of the high ground and some of the best meme worthy content out there to this day, um, that always just, it hits me. And so I can imagine what it would feel like if I was, what you talked about had been a kid growing up with that or an adult and been there and what that could feel like. And maybe when I die and I can erase my memory for fun and watch it and then bring it all back, like oh. I'll do that. Cause it would be pretty cool. Yeah. Great. Or I guess I'll get to deal with my, my little son yeah, and dude, we'll just watch, watch it. it and he won't know. Yep. And I'll be like, bro, you didn't know. Yep. You got to get so them early go. though. You got to get them early. You can't let their little older friends fuck it up for them. You got you to catch him when it's there still. Yeah, well, I won't let him talk to you because he'll, right. he'll just be. No, dude, I would never ruin it for him, dude. Like, I would never. I want everyone to experience Star Wars in the way that like I this way, We're going to have to go see Uncle JJ make a trip to, to Utah and be like, let's indoctrinate you. We'll, we'll, we'll get a projector and put it on the back of my house, dude, and we'll watch you, it. Right. Nothing would bring you higher honor oh, than to, to do that. You absolutely. Would love that. Absolutely. That would be the greatest because I don't have kids and I won't have kids. Like I watched it with my, my nieces and they didn't love it, but my nephew, I haven't introduced him yet, but I will. He's getting to the point where he's old enough. I might be able to get him to sit still for three movies. JJ, so. I think we'll do that. We'd have to wait till said banks sure. is probably like eight, so yeah, we could get a, a realistic sit down. Yep. Yeah. Works. That does sound like a lot of fun. Always welcome. All right, Alec. Tell everybody where they can find us outside of our podcast, buddy. <laughs> Happy to. Uh, thank you for tuning into our review of The Return of the Jedi for the 40th anniversary. The old joke is so obvious here for JJ that I'm going to resist the temptation. If you are new to the podcast or a longtime listener, we thank you for your listen. And if you were even just moderately impressed with the content, leave us a like or a comment. Or if you're feeling especially fantastic, you can even share this video as that is the best way to help us corrupt more degenerates. A special thank you to our wonderful patron, Roland Emmerich. You are most definitely the real Slim Shady. We have some exciting new directions that the podcast is heading, guys. And the best place for those details is Patreon where every dollar spent goes towards the Ewok Conservation Fund. With that, I will turn it back to our beloved Titan of Terror, the Sultan of Swat, a JJ. Love it. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, Roland Emmerich. I had a good chuckle with that. Fucking hate <laughs> Roland Emmerich. Um, but I love Charles as Roland Emmerich. That's my guy. Man, Star Wars. I, it's the first time we've done Star Wars on the podcast. It took you this long? I fucking know. I mean, I guess we've done TV shows, but it's the first time we've done a Star Wars movie on the podcast. So I, I guess it, yeah, it's crazy. It's taken me this long to get it on here, but I think everybody still knows what I would have given them before this hand this this uh as long as we we just can't do attack of the clones because i gotta shit on that one a little (laughs) anyway with that as always we appreciate you tuning in we will catch you on the next one hasta la vista baby cinematic